Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 57 of Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into the program, I just want to share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. And my goal is to offer you hope and encouragement through stories each week of people that have dedicated their lives to this idea of servant leadership and honoring God. Because what I know to be true and we've seen from every single person that's been on this program is that when you do that, you will absolutely receive blessings from God as a byproduct of your service. Our goal as people, as servant leaders, is to honor God and to do things that are really pleasing to Him. But when we do those kinds of things, God will bless us in return. Because at the end of the day, all of us are ministers. And because of that, it is our obligation and responsibility that when we see a need in the world around us, we should fill that need to the best of our ability. Because serving is for everyone in all walks of life. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You could be a military leader, a business leader, a leader in faith, a leader in your community, or even something as simple as a leader in your family. And just last week, we had on Reverend Bill McDonald, and he's a leader in his faith community. And if you didn't hear his story, it is so compelling talking about what it means to really put your faith and trust and hope in God. And he did that and God just blessed him and his life abundantly and protected him in Vietnam and then gave him this incredible ministry to bless others and just have a message of love and forgiveness. So if you didn't hear his episode, I would encourage you to tune into that and listen to what he had to say. But for today... I'm going to share with you just a little bit about me. About six years ago, on May 2nd, 2016, I had the great opportunity to share life, to share a kidney with my uncle, Uncle Mike Ruggiero. And so today, I have the great privilege of having on his wife, my aunt, Susan Ruggiero. And so she is a former insurance program manager for NEA, the National Education Association. She's also my aunt, and she's a loving wife and caretaker. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Mrs. Susan Ruggiero. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Mrs. Sue Ruggiero. And Sue, first of all, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest in the program, taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us here today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So, and so I you have a lot of things in your background, but I think one of the really good things that we can start off with is, you know, the work that you did with NEA and, you know, how you got into the insurance world and kind of what your role was there. Well, actually, I started out in business. Um, I wanted to to act, be a Spanish teacher. And at the time, I couldn't get any. Uh, there were no jobs in the early 70s teaching okay. Spanish. So I inadvertently got into direct marketing of insurance. I worked for um, a direct marketing company called National Liberty 
And then I went with Prudential and I worked on the AARP insurance, uh, which selling Medicare supplement insurance to seniors. And um, I was at a couple of uh, advertising agencies in between. And then I found the job with the National Education Association, which was really the best job I ever had um, in my entire career. Uh, it was what I liked about it so much was I was responsible for all of the insurance programs that were offered to the members of NEA, which is teachers and uh, educational support professionals mm -hmm. who are members of NEA. And um, it was a great job because I had responsibility for uh, life insurance, health insurance, auto and home insurance, wow. long-term care insurance. And uh, I was working with a whole lot of other support companies. Um, Prudential was the provider of the uh, life insurance. California Casualty provided the auto and home insurance. United American provided the Medicare supplement insurance. And I really felt like I was doing something not only that I enjoyed and loved and uh, was, was very good at too, but I also particularly liked that job because it was providing something important to teachers right. and um, teachers do so much good work for the children of the country and they need to have good insurance programs. And we were instrumental in making sure that we had the best insurance programs for teachers that were out there and also that we got them good rates um, on all of the insurance programs that we offered. So were you actually selling insurance? Like what was your day-to-day -day role? My day-to-day -day role was actually overseeing all of these programs, but yes, it involved marketing. But when I say marketing, it wasn't selling, you know, on an individual basis. We did um, direct marketing. So mailings, advertisements, and uh, the members would respond if they wanted to apply for a particular insurance program. Okay. They would respond through the mail, through the telephone, um, even, you know, through the internet, um, as it, you know, I started in the early, well, it was 2001. So back then the internet was really just yeah, getting started. Yeah. But, um, by the, the time I left in 2014, when I retired, um, we were selling in all different ways. So it was a matter of the mar overseeing the marketing programs, but also the administration, um, making sure that, Claims were paid, that there was uh, always, you know, enough that we were working with the actuaries to make sure that uh, we were charging the right amount, but not too much, but mm -hmm. enough that, that all of the claims could be paid. Mm -hmm. So um, it was it was a very wide, uh, you know, wide responsibility, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun and um, I enjoyed it. So did you have a team of people that were working for you at the time? Yes, I had um, a small team that worked at NEA member benefits, but a larger team in all of the companies that worked for and with us. Mm. Um, so there were all of these insurance companies and there was always a, a team from each one of these in companies and uh, insurance companies and administrative companies that worked with us that, that we, um, and then they of course were the link between us and uh, the the vast customer service and uh, actuarial services, all the different departments within their company. Mm -hmm. So with your team at NEA, were you actually putting together the mailings and the emails or, you know, the ads or did yes. other people kind of come to you and you going to give approvals? Uh, well, more the latter. Um, we also employed an advertising agency okay. that, um, did all of the, you know, the, the direct mail packages, the advertisements, um, and we m cl closely monitored all of that, um, reviewed all of it, approved it. Uh, but yes, they they did the actual work in developing the, the ads. And, and, and then you that. sign off on it? Yes. yes okay. Right. So how many people directly worked for you in that capacity? In the capacity of, of NEA, I'm, yeah, oh, you're a little small team. Um, I think I only had a small team of about maybe five people okay. um, that that worked directly for me. So, what was your leadership style with those people that worked for you? Like, how did you really care for them and make sure that they were really enjoying their job and you know found the job to be life giving? 
my style was one of making sure that they had everything they needed to to perform their jobs um, efficiently. Uh, if they didn't understand something, providing them with the um, with the information that they they needed. But I was rather hands off. If mm -hmm. there was if a problem arose, I was right there to to help them. But um, I I tried not to overmanage. Um, wasn't sitting on top of them <laughs> to, to uh, you know monitor what they were doing. So were there some young people that were on your team that yeah uh, you were able to kind of pour into and help to train up that next generation? Yes, yes, there were. Um, well, definitely younger than me. I don't, I don't remember how young they were, but they were younger than. What are you talking about? You're in your twenties and thirties, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> but they were. Um, yeah, and I enjoyed what I most enjoyed was teaching them the business um, and um, modeling, you know, what I thought was good professional behavior to um, that, that they could see and, and pattern their, their own business careers after that. So um, I, I enjoyed mentoring and, um, and giving them, you know, guidance in that way. So what did that look like? I mean, did they come to you and say, hey, Sue, um, you know, I, I want to learn from you or did you kind of do a shoulder tap? Was it a weekly thing and an hourly thing? What did that mentorship program look like for you? Um, I, I didn't always have formal weekly meetings with, with people, but since we were kind of closely, one of the things I believe strongly in is that if you're physically located close to people, mm -hmm. people that you work with, you get a lot more done than if you're closeted often in in an office far from from those people sure so we worked closely together physically and uh you know on a day-to-day -day basis like they, they could yell over the the partitions hey sue you know i got a question about this or sue i got a question about that and and that's the way it worked um mostly. now being in close proximity <coughs> Were you able to develop some kind of personal relationship with your team? Sure, sure, yeah. And so, so what was that like? I mean, were you able to kind of pour into them and maybe know something more about their families or things that were going on oh, yeah. through those personal relationships? Definitely. Um, yeah, I was very familiar with um, uh, a lot of them. As a matter of fact, um, my husband and I were invited to the wedding <clears throat> of one of the people that worked for me. He was actually from Nigeria originally, and his daughter was getting married. And uh, we were invited to this wonderful Nigerian wedding. Uh, wow. And that was that was really cool. Um, there were people there in uh, traditional Nigerian garb, um, and uh, actually the bride and groom came out originally in American, you know, she had a regular American type wedding yeah, dress. Yeah. And, and then later they changed into the, the Nigerian uh, wow. clothes. It was a lot of fun. So what kind of inspired you to be this mentor to other people? Was there somebody in your career as you were coming up before you got to NEA or maybe at NEA that poured into you? Like what made you say, you know, I think it's really important to develop this next generation. Yeah, um, definitely. When I started out in my career, uh, there were people that taught me so much. Um, I had one boss I remember. Uh, he was a little bit of a kook. Um, he he was very demanding. People, some people thought he was crazy, but I really enjoyed working for him because he demanded excellence um, always. And... Um, you know, he might go off on a tirade, not necessarily at me, but at other people um, demanding, you know, well, we can't do it this way because that's not the right way to do it. <coughs> so, um, yeah, I uh, I definitely enjoyed working with him and um, he taught me a lot. <coughs> so that idea of excellence <laughs> that you got from your previous boss, I mean, were you able to bring that forward to your role at NEA, like, were you leading by example in that capacity there? So um, one thing I learned early on in my career was that it's the old phrase, you can catch more uh, flies with honey than something else. But um, 
I am one time I was trying, this was really early on. I was trying to get something out of an art department uh, quickly because my boss was demanding it. And um, so I was very firm. I don't know if I was outright nasty, but I was firm about it and, and not real sweet and pleasant. And I realized that that wasn't going to work. Yeah. So I had to change my tactic. And of course I carried the same tactic on for the rest of my career. But um, I learned that you have to be nice and pleasant and you're gonna get people to wanna do things more for you than if you're not. Uh, schmooze them up a little bit. Um, <laughs> learn, learn a little bit more about them and, and what makes them tick and talk to them a little bit and become their friend and yeah. then they're going to want to do things more for you yeah so i carried that tactic on for the throughout the rest of my career and i think it served me pretty well so people responded to those personal relationships and getting to know them and being nice as you call it right exactly okay. so when we were speaking before the program uh, you were telling me that serving others makes life more meaningful for you so you need tell me a little bit more about that and why that is yes well um now since i've been retired for almost eight years um the i don't i'm not serving members of nea i'm not uh serving other people that i work with but i am serving uh, my family and right now the biggest part of my family is my husband uh your uncle mike and um He's had a lot of health issues. And uh, I feel that this is the purpose of my life. Now, um, I, you know, everybody needs to have some meaning to their life. Yep. And um, the meaning to my life now is to keep him happy and healthy, the healthy part, and alive. Yeah. And, um, and that's my focus right now. And I intend to do that as long as he's here. <laughs> well, I'm pretty glad that you are doing that. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about the, what I think is really a blessing of the synchronization of the timing between you retiring from NEA and things starting to go south with Uncle Mike. Right. I don't, I don't know why it happened to coincide like that, but it did. <clears throat> I was um, planning to retire when I turned 65 and that was in 2014. And um, so that was going along real smoothly. And um, that summer, I, I think I was planning on retiring right after I turned 65. And earlier that same summer, we found out that Uncle Mike had prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. We also knew that he had issues with his kidney. Mm -hmm. They hadn't gotten to a real severe point at that time, but we knew that they were getting there. And um, so it just so happened that when I did retire in August of 2014, immediately after that, we were seeing doctors about uh, going into radiation for the prostate cancer. Wow. And um, we came up to uh, the Philadelphia area because the University of Pennsylvania had a really good proton uh, therapy, radiation, proton radiation therapy program program. Um, and he did 45 consecutive days of radiation for the prostate cancer. Wow. 45 days. That, that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> and so what kind of toll did that take on you, I mean, aside from the physical effects on him? Yeah. Uh, well, at the same time, we were trying to sell our house in Maryland because mm -hmm. I had just retired and buy a house in New Jersey. And there's a lot that goes on with all of that. For sure. And um, we were in the middle of doing that. And we were staying. We had a, a condo in New Jersey that we were going back and forth. We were staying at and going back and forth to Philadelphia every Monday through Friday and um, for the radiation. And when we uh, were finished on a Friday afternoon, we would get in the car and drive back to Maryland so we could pack all weekend. So then um, little by little, every weekend we were doing some kind of packing because wow. we did sell the house pretty quickly, which was good. And we're buying a new house, but there was so much going on. It was a lot of pressure. Um, There's so much you know, going on with, with selling a house, buying a new house, moving, setting up the utilities. Yeah. And that all was happening 
in um, September, October, November. And we finally moved, I think, the end of November, and he finished up the radiation in December of that year. Wow. And so all of that, I'm assuming, all the process of the documents and packing things up and selling the house and making a new house, all those things were squarely on your shoulders. Yes. Yes. Always. <laughs> wow. So no pressure there. No. And right. then I was, you know, we were, but waiting for him in the waiting room of the hospital, I got to do a lot of that. Although the, I remember the internet wasn't too good there, so. That was a little bit of a problem, but I could do as much as I could. So just out of curiosity, because I forgot to ask you this before, when you were in insurance and you had a lot of things leading up to NEA, but there's also some alignment there with Uncle Mike because he had a full career in insurance. Is that part of what brought the two of you together? No, not really. <laughs> that was a coincidence that he was uh, very active. and He was a, a fantastic insurance salesman for a good part of his career. <clears throat> but it was just coincidence that we happened to meet and we were both in the field of insurance. Um, but we had a lot to talk about when we when we did meet. Yeah. And um, so that was, that was pretty neat and enhanced our relationship. And so when did thing, you said that in, I think 2014, right, is when things started to decline. When did Uncle Mike stop working? And was that part of like his health decline? How, how did that all, shape out um actually he was he stopped working um pretty much when we moved to maryland in 2001 okay he was looking to get back into the insurance field he had gotten out of it for a little bit and um, nothing really materialized all that 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 turned out to be something he really wanted to do mm -hmm. so um that was when he he semi-retired he got into some other things like um he started a small coin business and um, he, uh, we kind of um, dabbled in astrology and, and went to some um, holistic fairs and did uh, Eastern astrology personality profiles. Um, but um, yeah, he he did mostly did the coin business. So when things started to decline, nothing had taken place before two thousand fourteen. Right. Um, we were monitoring the kidney. Um, it was slowly getting worse, but um, it, it really didn't fail him until it was right after the prostate cancer was handled in the, at the end of 2014. Um, we were seeing a doctor and he said, you know, I think you're going to need to go on dialysis. And um, because actually, no, we had seen a doctor in 2014 about a transplant because you so graciously had uh, said that you would donate your kidney mm -hmm. to Uncle Mike. And um, we went to the, see the doctors at University of Maryland in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, if you have a donor, we can definitely do the kidney transplant. The only problem is the prostate cancer. Right. You can't have cancer when, um, you're going to get a transplant. Right. So uh, we had to take care of that first. They wanted him cancer free for at least a year. So we did take care of all that. And um, in that time, the the kidney was failing. So we had to do dialysis. So let's talk about that for a bit. Because I remember when I would come to see him during that period of time. And luckily, I was back in the States at that point. Because I was in Japan up until 2015. Right. So when I came back here and I started to come see Uncle Mike pretty regularly. He wasn't looking too good and he was looking pretty tired from the treatments and you were looking pretty tired because you were up with him all the time. Right. So what was that whole process like? Right. So we started out, well, first of all, we had to go to this whole education program to decide what kind of dialysis he wanted to do. There's all different, well, not all different types, but there's several different types of dialysis. We opted to do the dialysis, it's hemodialysis, which actually cleanses the blood in the system. And there's two ways of doing that. One is to go to a dialysis center three days a week and you're there for, I don't know, I think it's four or five hours a day. Wow. <clears throat> and you sit in a chair the entire time and strangers are 
working on you and it, it's not a lot of fun. Or you can have a machine installed in your home mm -hmm. and you can do it at home. Now, you have to be able to do it yourself or, and usually with the help of some, you know, a family member. Mm -hmm. In Uncle Mike's case, he was not really wanting to do it himself. Um, so I volunteered. <laughs> and uh, in order to do this, you need to, to get a lot of training. Yeah. Um, so we started out going to a dialysis center in Philadelphia. Uh, we had to go five days a week. Wow. And um, I trained for, I think it was about three months. We had, and the, we were probably there four hours a day. No kidding. Monday through Friday for close to three months. That's a lot of training. <laughs> yeah. It so it's not something as simple as, okay, put this on. I'm going to press play and that's it. No, it's not simple at all. And it's, it can be dangerous. I mean, you can actually kill the person, which I did not want to kill my husband. So, um, it was uh, it was scary, and um, at, you know I started out. There was a nurse there teaching me. She was fantastic, and she did all the work the first you know week, just showing me what she was doing. And yeah. little by little, she was transferring certain things over to me. Now you do this, you do that, and that's why it took three months because by the end of the three months, I was doing it all by myself yeah. in in the center. And we, but again, we were going five days a week because I think he was on the machine two and a half hours um, each session. Wow. And it had to be done five days a week. So after the three months, then they installed the machine in our home. You have to have um, a line attached to your plumbing and because it drain, drains out and it's very complicated. Wow. <clears throat> so, um, so there was always a nurse on call and um, that was my saving grace because there were a few times that I got, there were some problems and uh, I quickly called the nurse and uh, she saved him, him and me, wow. <laughs> both of us. Yeah. yeah. It was scary. And um, so after that, uh, we decided to actually go to a different kind of dialysis, which is peritoneal dialysis. And there was a tube in his stomach. Wow. And there was a machine at, they took the other machine out. We started with the, the new machine. And that um, meant that it was worked all night. He had to be attached to this machine, but it wouldn't drain always properly. Mm. And when it wasn't draining properly, then an alarm would go off. And oh this gosh. was every two hours. Oh my gosh. So we never, neither one of us got a good night's sleep the entire time. But that only lasted a few months. And then fortunately by May of 2016, the beginning of May of 2016. May 2nd. Yep. What well, we had the dialysis, uh, not the dialysis, the transplant. And um, no more dialysis after that. And that was wonderful. There were some complications with the with the surgery um, afterwards or some issues that he had. He had a blood clot and other things, but we got him all straightened out. And by definitely by the fall of that year, he was on his way to good health. And we were very thankful for that. And so what was life like after, you know, come <clears throat> August, September, when all the small issues were straightened out? How did life change for the both of you? Well, for one thing, we, we had a good night's sleep. <laughs> um, he was definitely uh, more healthy and um, we had more freedom. We could go places and do things and um, we, we weren't tied to dialysis anymore. And that was wonderful. Yeah. Um, you know, he's since developed some other issues, uh, but um, we're dealing with them and, um, you know, he's doing very well. So even with the other issues, and I don't know the full breadth and depth of them, but w would you say that life is still measurably better than it was previously? Definitely, yes. And so uh, how are you able to still do these things? Like a lot of people, certainly people that are you know in retirement stage and their spouse encounters difficulties like this, you know, they don't necessarily feel committed to stay with the spouse and you know the whole thing of till death to us part and for better or worse sickness and health eh, it's more of a suggestion 
to right. some people. So wh- what has that whole thing been like for you? The, the feeling of commitment and dedication, like where does that come from for you? I take the vows, the marriage vows seriously. I till you know, in sickness or in health. And um, unfortunately, Uncle Mike has uh, had more than his fair share of sickness. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm there with him, you know, through, throughout. Uh, I knew a woman who uh, did not have, his husband had kidney problems and um, he went to a dialysis center three days a week. She didn't volunteer to do the dialysis at home. Um, I don't know what his particular case was, you know, what his issues were, but yeah. unfortunately he died. Wow. And um, uh, I don't want that to happen to Uncle Mike. So yeah. I'm there to help him no matter what. So let's look at this from a different angle. Very committed, dedicated to marriage vows and Uncle Mike. What would you say has been the greatest blessings that you've received by staying by his side and volunteering and all the late nights and everything that's gone into the last eight years? How has God blessed you through all this? God has blessed me because I have a husband, a man who loves me more than any anybody has ever loved me. And I say that and that includes my parents, my kids. This man truly loves me. Yes, he depends on me, but uh, I don't mind being dependent on because I can I can carry that. But uh, nobody's ever loved me that much, and um, that's a good feeling. I like that. And so, over the last eight years, is there something that just sticks out at you of you know a really great experience where you feel like God showed up and you just say to yourself like I really can't believe that this is happening right now. This is such a great moment. Oh, wow. I, I always have um, great moments. I, you know, I love living and um, I, I love all, you know, we, Uncle Mike and I have traveled. We traveled a lot when I was still working. Yeah. But we've traveled st- since then, too. Yeah. Especially after the transplant. Yeah. Um, we've taken some nice trips. Um, we did some really good European trips when I was working and uh, before he had a lot of his health issues. Yeah. And um, uh, so I I enjoy so much of, of life. One of the things that um, we've taken on as a hobby is uh, working. His his uh, great passion for astrology has got has rubbed off on me, and um, we have combined Eastern and Western astrology, and we work on. Uh, personality profiles so there are there are um, 12 as everybody knows 12 western signs like Aquarius Leo Pisces etc and but there are also 12 eastern astrology signs and everybody is a combination of of those so if you multiply 12 times 12 it's 144 unique signs like I'm a Leo ox, um, Uncle Mike is a Pisces pig. You are a I forget now a snake. I Capricorn think. snake. Capricorn snake, and um, we've been working on. We're actually at about 110. We've completed so far, so we only have another 34 to go. Wow! And uh, we've been working on that, and um, we hope to maybe sell them and uh, make a business out of that, and. That would be a lot of fun. You know, it, it brings a lot of joy to my heart when I see um, the pictures of you and Uncle Michael on social media where you're out traveling. And, you know, then when you talk about the personality profiles, like you've been generous enough to give me my own, you know, and that really is special. You know, it's something that the two of you can do together and you're blessing a lot of people with, you know, just here's a little bit about who you are and what your personality is. Yeah. And it's fun. And all the people that we've given them to have really enjoyed them and have said, hey, yeah, that does sound like me. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's fun. So we got about a minute left. Last question. What advice would you give to other spouses that may be going through similar struggles and maybe it's months, maybe it's years that they've been going through it. And, you know, maybe they're crying themselves to sleep at night and they just say to themselves, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm running out of strength. What, what would you say to them? I would say try to do something good for yourself. Um, 
I, I get out of the house and take a walk every day, except for the last couple of days, I haven't been feeling too well, but um, most every day I get out and I take a walk or um, do something with friends or uh, get away and see, see your kids and grandkids, whatever. Um, but do something, go on a shopping trip, <laughs> um, but do something for yourself. And you do have to think of yourself first, because if you're not in good shape, you have to make sure you're eating right and sleeping well and all of that. Um, because if you're not in good shape, then you're not going to be able to provide your best for your spouse. But if you can do all those things and, uh, it's definitely worth it. It's definitely worth giving up, um, your time and energies to taking care of another person. Well, I got to say, I'm so glad that you do, and I still have Uncle Mike around. And I want to thank you so much for being in the program today and just sharing your story with us. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. When we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guests. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, I want to just briefly reflect on what we've heard from today's guest, my Aunt Sue. Listen, I have a relationship with her for a long time, but her story and the full breadth and depth of who she is and what she's been going through over the last eight years, I learned more about her today uh, than I have over the last several years in the full uh, scope of her life. And there's just a couple things that I want to highlight because I think they're really important. So when she was discussing her experience with NEA and being in the insurance world, and she told the story about the demanding boss and the person that really wanted excellence, and then how his leadership not only inspired her to give her best, but then when she carried that forward, she learned the really important lesson that you can get so much more from people when you are serving them and caring for them and as she talked about, when you're nice and pleasant. And so I wonder, what can we do in our own lives? What can we do as leaders in business, in the military, in our communities, in faith, or even again, in our families? What can we do to be nice and pleasant? Because like she said, you get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. The second thing that she said that I really was just inspired by, she said that her purpose in life now is to see her husband, my uncle, live a happy, healthy life and just continue to be with us. And I wonder how many of us are willing to do that. In the Bible, it talks about there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And, you know, she said that she takes her marriage vows really seriously, and so do I. And so I wonder how many of us are that committed to other people. Are we willing in the military to lay down your life for that battle buddy when you're taking the hill? Are you willing to jump on the grenade, so to speak, for your battle buddy? In business, are you willing to sacrifice the good of yourself for the good of the organization? In your community, are you willing to sacrifice your time to give and give and give to make your community better? In your faith, are you willing to give up your time to serve week after week and do the things to make your church and your spiritual family be well? And in your family, are you willing to really 
die to yourself and put the needs of your spouse or your kids ahead of yourself to make that your purpose in life and say, you know what? I have needs and that's great, but I'm going to put yours first and I'm going to make sure that I take care of you and I'm going to make it my purpose in life to see that you or this company or this church, whatever it is, is successful. Really, really powerful. And it says a whole lot about her as a person to make that statement. And you know, something else that I thought was extraordinarily meaningful. She said that now they're able to live again. Now that they uh, have been done with the dialysis and we've done the transplant six years ago, they're out and they're living life and they're making the most of the time that they have together. Now, granted, you know, he still does have some health issues and he still struggles with some things and maybe forgets a little bit here and there. But being able to enjoy life with somebody, to travel, to get out, to be able to do things, and to make that the centerpiece of who you are and what you do. And I just, I, I am so honored that I was able to just have a small part in that six years ago because I was the only one in the whole family. Everybody was tested and I was the only one that was a perfect match. And I only lived 15 minutes from him. So my choice was a pretty simple one. Give the man a kidney or watch the man continue to deteriorate and ultimately pass. And so for me, it was a very easy choice. I gave the man a kidney. But what are we willing to do for the good of other people so that they can have that life? They can completely change their day-to-day -day and their quality of life and their sleep and just being able to get out and do things. I, I love what the last thing she said, that now they have something in common where they work up personality profiles for people and they're doing life together. So at the end of the day, what I think is most important about her story is that she's serving her family. You know, she's retired now and she's in the latter part of her life but she is taking the time every day to serve her family, to serve her husband. And so I say week after week, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. There is a way for you to serve other people and to put them first. And her life and her story is such a powerful example of that and how she put her husband and my uncle first in her life to make sure that he is happy, healthy, and continues to stay with us. So I am so glad for that, and I'm just honored that she was able to be on the program with me here today. Well, listen, each week I talked about this idea of when you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. That's no different. This week, God showed up yet again. And so this past week, uh, I had an opportunity to travel for my job, and I was down in Florida. And so I was checking into the local hotel there. And so much like what she was talking about, I believe that you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And so there was a bit of a line when I got to the hotel and when it was my turn, um, the woman had been dealing with, let's say a difficult customer. And so I tried to be very pleasant to her um, when it was my turn and try to change her demeanor and give her a little bit of joy um, and not make her not be as upset as she was from the previous encounter. And then throughout my stay at the hotel, I, again, just tried to strike up a conversation with her, um, bring a little bit of joy to her, bring a smile to her face. And so as a result of this, and this is like not something I was expecting or hoping or planning on or anything like that. And, but this woman, she upgraded my room to a very luxurious room with tons of space, more space than I could ever possibly want or need. And then she comped me a dinner. She comped me some beverages. Like it, it was beyond anything I could ever ask or imagine. And really, that's how God works. When you do good for other people, when you honor God and Scripture says when you do good to somebody else, it's like you're doing good for him. So I was essentially bringing joy to God in my actions and how I was treating her and what I said and, you know, my engagement with her just to bring her a little bit of joy. And in return, God blessed me with just incredible time 
at this place and wonderful meals and just a beautiful room more than I ever thought was possible. And so I would just encourage you, any person that you meet, regardless of, you know, whether it's a, a person that picks up your garbage or the person that's serving you at a restaurant, I would say to you that there is no job where the person that's doing the task is not a human being. It's not perps. It's a person that has emotions. It's a person that has feelings. And so it's really incumbent on us to care for that person, to show love to that person, regardless of what their job is, because they're still a human being and they're a person that needs to be loved and cared for. And when you do that, such blessing will come to you more than you could ever ask or imagine, because that's how God works. Well, listen, next week, so excited about my next guest. So I don't know a whole lot about football. My son is really into football. It's never been my thing. Um, but I do know that the NFL draft was just this past week. And so I thought it would be appropriate to bring on a guest that is a servant leader in the area of sports. And so my guest for next week is Mr. Craig Fitzgerald. So Craig was a walk-on player for the Maryland Terrapins. He's a former strength and conditioning coach for Penn State, and he now is the head strength and conditioning coach for the New York Giants. Really excited to hear his story and how he serves in the world of sports. Because again, it's not about who you are or what you do. It's about the life that you lead and honoring God. And that's what makes a servant leader. And listen, I also want to say to you, happy Mother's Day. For those that are listening, I hope that you have a blessed, enjoyable day, and I truly hope that you feel loved and valued and cared for because that is what you deserve for all that you do to serve your families. Finally, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week. Walking around these walls I thought by now they fall But you have never felt me yet Ooh. Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never felt me yeah. Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never felt me I woke
Never will forget God I 